think the better question, Byron, is what are you going to miss about me? Can I get back to you in five to ten working days on that one? <laughs> I can see why it would take a while. <laughs> I'll need quite a while to write the list up there and make sure that I kind of rack my brains and go back and listen to the wonderful anthology of the Iron Duke podcast to find the highlights and lowlights of what has been quite the ride together on this journey. And indeed. Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Not the slushies! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. Okay, Boomer. For people to get outside and to uh, spread their legs. The people have given us the mandate and we are ready to go to work. Hello and welcome back to 2024 and the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith and I'm joined live in Iron Duke Studios with Principal Consultant Byron Terrace. Hello, it's great to be back again for 2024 on the Iron Duke podcast, this being my penultimate, second to last for those that don't know, <laughs> penultimate podcast episode And if with this you. is anything like Game of Thrones, this is the big one. This is the Red Wedding episode. This is where <laughs> everyone gets slashed and burned. There's disaster. I wonder why you bought a tarpon. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. So the plastic, the, the office is lined with plastic, everybody. If you've seen American Psycho, this is the moment. Everyone if you've seen American Psycho, that's been the last four years of my life with Byron Terry. <laughs> anyway, on this episode, we've got a couple of water woes to talk about. We've got some interesting things happening along the Red Sea that Maddie's going to learn about, which is quite interesting. Um, we've got some problems with our buses in public transport and some good news about what's going on with tourists in New Zealand. So Maddie, it's been summer, it's been hot. What's going on with tourism? Tourists are back are in they? the biggest possible way. We're up 70,000 tourists on the where we were this time last year, which is just crazy. That post-COVID boom in terms of, you know, revenge tourism as people are calling it, has been super exciting for New Zealand. We've got a huge number of people crossing the border from Australia from the UK and what's most exciting is we're yet to even see the return of that boom of Chinese tourism, which we know in New Zealand is where kind of our highest spenders come from, but we also just get like a large quantity of tourists from there anyway. Tourism, however, still down on pre-COVID years. So if we look back to 2019, we're at about 82% of where we're there. So we're getting there. Globally... We're at 88%, so we are lagging somewhat. And I think there's a whole number of reasons for this, right? During COVID, the New Zealand government went out and slashed Tourism New Zealand's budget. Now, Mm. Tourism New Zealand is responsible. They're like the marketing agency of come on holiday in New Zealand. I remember being in Paris this time last year. Yeah, I know. And you're walking down some of the main streets where you've got a view of the Eiffel Tower in the background and these giant cumbers at Australia billboards just in your peripheral vision, Mm. right? So whilst we slashed and burned that budget, everyone went hard which makes total sense you've got people sitting at home miserable and depressed with a case of the spicy cough of course they're looking to book holidays and during that period New Zealand was nowhere to be seen Mm. so that's a huge reason why we're a little bit slower but the fact is we're back in a really big way we're not as back in as big of a way as the rest of the world Middle East actually doing crazy well they're at 124% of their pre-tourism level and it is it's that revenge of luxury tourism right travelling has gotten more expensive since COVID so those high end those luxury destinations are really surging here. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to ask the question, what do we want to be as a destination? Because I think being at that luxury end of the market in this post-COVID era, 
That's where you got to be. We've got to be careful, though, because, of course, the real economic boom from tourism comes from, unfortunately, the nasty Q word, which is quantity. Mm. You need more people going to small cafes and you need more people going to more holiday parks. Otherwise, the New Zealanders don't benefit from the spillover effect. It's yeah. like when tourists went away from New Zealand because of COVID-19, people complained because their favourite cafe closed down. Yeah, there because are a their lot favorite of cafe businesses out relied there. on international tourists. So we've got to be careful as a country to not go, we just want rich people and make New Zealand kind of just a rich person's destination because you won't get the volume mm. that actually helps support other amenity that New Zealand does, you and me, yeah. get to enjoy. Totally agree. And just to smack them while they're already down, Immigration New Zealand uh, has been found to be processing tourist visas so late that people are actually cancelling trips as well. So it is a system at large challenge that we're facing here to deal with the rush of people wanting to visit our shores, but pretty exciting. Coromandel and Kaikoura are the two most visited regions in New Zealand at the moment. Yeah, I saw that puff piece on Kaikoura a few weeks ago. That was quite interesting. It's like it's back since the earthquake and it's yeah. got all sorts of interesting shit going on, a little town going on. I think great. people think whales are going extinct, so maybe that's why they're heading there. I mean, some are. Most are. Well, actually, interesting. We can get to conservation on another podcast. Climate change, big let's, issue. Let's take that one offline. Peak of the week, Byron. My peak of the week is uh, a geopolitical story because I'm a geopolitical kind of guy. Is actually the it's West's collective life. response to Still what's worldwide. going on in the Red Sea. So you have a rebel group that's in command of about half of the country of Yemen. Yemen is, sits on the border of the Red Sea, which is the gateway to the Suez Canal, where about 50% of the world's tr- sea trade goes through. Where the boat got stuck. Where the boat got stuck, that's right. The Evergreen, Everglade thing, that got stuck there, that's right. Now, what this rebel group thought would be a good idea uh, is to just start shooting at some container ships that go past. Just but fire some rockets. pretty sturdy. Oh, rockets. Some rockets, right. not like guns. Not, not BB guns. Not BB guns, no, Slug like rockets. Um, and, you know, really start to dissuade container vessels from going up there. To achieve what? Nominally, this was in support of the Palestinian cause because they thought that any ship going through there must have some connection to, like, I don't know, Jews. It's a really tenuous link. Anyway, so the Houthis, the Houthi rebel group started shooting at container ships, started shooting at all of these cargo ships, and, of course... Where's this trade going? It's going to Europe, it's going to the Middle East, and it's going to places like India and China. Now, India, don't fuck with us. India, we're right out of the gates, like, we've got to go protect our shipping. The Houthi rebels boarded a ship, and the Indians sent in <gasps> special forces. Pirates! Pop, 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 yep. Pirates! So the Indian special forces went in there and were like, yoza, here we go, GoPros on our heads, taking out the bad guys so like a film. are they shooting the rockets from other ships or from land or paint a picture in for me? So land is a long way away. You've got a guided missile where you can lock on to a ship oh, from a yes. long way away and you fire it from a long way away. Sometimes That's option one. I forget one. that it's not 1910 anymore. Interesting. So that's option one. Option two is you buy a really, really cheap drone like the one you have and you stick a grenade on the bottom of it and you just fly it out to a cargo ship and drop the grenade on the cargo ship. I don't think my drone would be capable of that because if it was, I think I would have already taken out a couple of Interesting. Domestic terrorism. I didn't pick you for that, but oh well. So then you have obviously Western shipping start to get impacted and then you have a big response primarily from the UK and the USA who send a whole bunch of warships to actually take safe passage. Submarines? 
No, or maybe. We don't know. That kind of secret. <laughs> under the water, you can't under see the them. Sea. They could be down with the whales that we were just talking about, under right? The yeah. There could be a couple off Kaikoura. Yes. You'd never know. Maybe those are the whales. Anyway, so you have quite a large naval response from UK, USA, India, Germany, all send warships there to basically shoot rockets out the sky that are coming towards the cargo ships to protect the cargo ships. And recently, as in a few days ago, New Zealand finally joined the party. We sent six super soldiers, really strong, big guys, a you know, a couple of really big buff surf dudes. life-saving IRBs. To go to a nondescript office somewhere in the Middle East to sit there and choose targets and do some stuff I think and help out. That help out. speaks volumes of the state of our Defence Force currently, which you just informed me. Did you know, loyal listeners, that the Navy has recently dropped their need for you to do a swimming test to join? I'll just leave that one there. Um, lastly, sorry, from me. I think I had another question, which was, what do they want? What is their, you know? So, end, what's its end goal? Look, Maddie, that's a great question. That's a really good question. Has what's, anyone asked them directly? No, because what sits I can get in on the phone. what sits in behind the Houthi rebels is this big bad evil country called Iran. They want to seriously weaken that part of the world from American, from Western influence, and using the Houthis as a proxy to do so. That's what's mm-hmm. going on here. Now, the Houthis are just being financed to do this, so that it's going to fire whatever or whatever. So that's what's happening there. But lastly, um, why should New Zealand care? Great question, Maddie. Why should New Zealand care? Because of the whales. Uh, ooh, the big submarine whales. 81% of all our trade goes via sea. That's in total value. That's in total value. So that Not volume. In, that includes digital services and like what we do, you know, hive mind, groupthink type shit. But if you think about the volume of what gets exported from New Zealand, 99.1% mm. goes via sea. A lot of that goes to Europe. A lot of it does go to China. It doesn't get in the way of the Red Sea. But when you think about it, if the container ships don't want to go to China from the EU because they can't go through that So I think they do want water. to. They still want to. It's going to add a lot of cost, okay. and that cost translates to, to more around. money that you have to spend. Because you have to go all the way around Africa, don't you? All the way around the bottom, yeah. And it's quite a long way. It's a long way. Anyway, Gosh. it just adds cost. It just adds cost. Expensive. It adds cost everywhere. And, and that means you have to pay more for bananas. We about the fact that, well, to your point, whilst we want to put out a lot out through that channel, we also want to get a lot back in. Correct. And fuel prices will probably be the first one to spike. Fuel prices are already up. You've already got, you know, goods and services, primarily goods that come from Europe. They're already up in terms of logistics cost. It's just costs, basically. And that's not good for you, me, or the good people on the street. So why don't they just take the pirates out? That's what they're doing. So airstrikes have started. They've uh, struck Yemen about 30 times now uh, in the last week or so. Bang, 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 pop, 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 you know, trying to knock out the launches and say you've, re- you've entered the find out stage of fuck around. Mm. So that's where they're that at. You have. So that's pretty bad, but closer to home. Well, tell you what else is also bad is public transport, <laughs> nice. which similar challenges, right? People want to get places. And the buses keep getting hit by rockets. But they can't. Nice. And those rockets. Are poor local government decisions potholes? Less so. Oh, they're more like mines. Those are more like mines. The state of public transport across all of New Zealand at the moment is just completely woeful. Let's start with Auckland. CRL, big project, under the ground kind of tube subway system that's going to run twenty four hundred metres, which most people could actually walk. That's two point four k's. Still over a year away. Light rail. Dead, Dead in the water, gone. fares up 6.2%, reliability down something like 20%. And so now 
AT, Auckland Transport, has been forced to come up with all these genius ideas to get buses back on track because there's no alternative. Rail lines are frequently down. You've killed light rail. How do we get people back onto buses? Now, you and I both know that the number one barrier for people getting onto transport isn't cost. Mm. So making everything half price or fucking free. I hate people that advocate for free public transport. That's not how these sorts of models work. not what work. the evidence says. Not what the evidence says is reliability, Right. So what they are considering is an innovation that will allow late running buses. An innovation. Priority at intersections. Oh, this is Wayne Brown's idea. So you just, if a bus is running late, red light, green light, doesn't matter. Blasting on through. This is what Wayne Brown said during the election campaign. Yes. And no one believed him. No one People believed him. People thought he was nuts. He's now going to reconfigure traffic lights to prioritise a bus that is running late. Canterbury are about to roll out the national ticketing solution, which is a, a kind of a pay pilot. Paywave. Paywave pay 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 on a bus. And it proves once again that Christchurch should perhaps be just segregated into its own little like country because that's a really smart thing to do. That that's the, the way the they think at the moment. All Cantabrians, I love you Cantabrians, but hey, please don't ask me what school I went to. Yeah. Please. Asshole question. Wellington is the last one. No one really knows what's going on with Let's Get Wellington Moving. It's dead. Government, it's gone. Big government has come in and said, let's get Wellington moving. It's over. It's, uh, it's done. Redeploy. We're just going to blast through Mount Vic. Literally, there will there should be dynamite involved. I think there'll probably be a boring, boring machine, however. Nice long tunnels on. <sighs> if you talk about the long tunnel one more time, you're going to bleed out on the tarpaulin underneath you. I swear to God. For those of you who don't know what the long tunnel is. It's so big. The long tunnel is a pie-in-the-sky Dreamworld animation-esque Pixar of an idea that would create a tunnel that goes from where the Kelvin off-ramp is on State Highway 1 all the way through to the airport. That's right, it's a tunnel. It is under the ground. That's what tunnels are. And there are people within a metre of me who believe that that is a good idea. Oh, it's a great and that idea. it is a feasible idea. That's and fantastic. that that is a realistic investment of taxpayer funds and that that could actually happen. I never said that much. And the challenge is, <laughs> listeners, I usually have a great deal of respect for this individual, but then he says shit like that and it makes me question all of his intelligence. I haven't even talked about the cycleway tunnel yet. Don't. You're going to love that. Why do you wind little, me up? Imagine like a little tunnel beside the big tunnel and it's just for cyclists and they can just go through there. And there's a whole network of them under the city and they can just pop up wherever they can kind of get up. I think that'd be great. Little bike can you even, elevators. Can everywhere. you even ride a bike? Like I'm being quite serious. Look, let's take things seriously. What else is happening in public transport in New Zealand? Golden Mile, right? So the the what's happening between basically the Beehive and the Embassy Theatre is how you've got to think about it if you're not in Wellington. Apparently that's still going ahead, right? So that's creating a completely car-free precinct all the way along there, which in turn just creates a whole bunch of dead-end streets and means that people are really going to struggle to to access a lot of the businesses on there. Supposedly still going along. Light rail, also dead in Wellington. They're looking to move the bus routes along the Golden Mile onto the Keys. So if you're not familiar with Wellington, that's closer to the waterfront. You know what's out there? Fucking weather. If anyone is, ever, no one walks along there for a reason. It is the single most exposed oh, place. So the thought that you're going to get one a good bus, day happens, though, it's quite so busy. So you think you're going to get a bus out there, and then people are going to walk into their offices? That ain't going to happen. Yeah, they're just taking public transport further away from where people want to go. They're like, let's put more buses on the dumb. light rail route, and everyone said, well, the reason we're not doing the light rail thing is because no one lives where the light rail is going. Genius stuff, eh? Genius. I wonder who makes these decisions. If you are someone charged with any of these things, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, flick us a text at 826-826. Basically um, just to absolutely slaughter you. 
Oh, okay. But that's what's happening. And the reason I'm really upset about this is because coming back to my peak around the, like, the return of tourism, Did in order to be a world-class city, you need to have infrastructure that moves people around in easy ways. We've had tourists, not terrorists, tourists staying with us recently. We spoke about those who too. Who couldn't believe that you have to get an Uber from the airport in Auckland, for example, or in Wellington. The fact is, in order to be like internationally competitive, in order to be an easy destination for people to visit, but more importantly, an easy place for people to work, play and live, you need to to actually get on with creating realistic, thoughtful, and practical investments in this sort of infrastructure. Our entire realistic system doesn't look like a tunnel. Our entire system of transport planning is Wellington. Clubs, I know. Why do you have regional councils who exist to do water and air quality regulation running transport systems? Why does that happen? That's completely incorrect. You should not have environmental regulators running transport networks. No. That's wrong. But that being said, you look at Auckland Transport and they are a separate entity which is running transport in Auckland and they're still f***ing it up too. They've had the best run of it. They have had the best run of it. Remember here in Wellington when GWRC said, well, we're going to do all these new bus routes and everyone was just complaining because... They didn't just, actually, it's probably before your time. Yeah. Now I think about it. This is... Yeah, you're, you're a bit younger. You're, yeah, no. Yeah. So GWRC makes these stupid decisions. Everyone wants to go back to the way it used to be and they're like, nah, we're cracking on anyway. So I seriously believe that actually what we need in this country are dedicated transport entities that are taken away from the round of politics and actually just their job is to do transport. And I think that's the thing because public transport has become so politicised in New Zealand, both at a central and a local government area. And it is something that a lot of people do feel really strongly about because it has such a Especially trains. People love trains. People do love trains. It has such an impact on your daily life. Mm, it does. You know, we're talking about giving people quality time to spend with their families in the evening. Yep. Right? But when the bus doesn't show up for 45 minutes. Mm, good luck. Like, that doesn't create a place that you're actually happy living. Mm. We need better roads for those buses to run onto, so. I think Wellington's got the worst of it, by, by far. And I think it is also because, and I'll go on record and say this, Wellington has a hyper-politicised council, and this is not the only thing that they're screwing up. What's your pit? The other thing that's growing up, that's my pit. Wellington has become a byword for our disastrous water issues in this country. So Wellington Water is an entity that is jointly owned by the councils of the Wellington region. So that's Wellington City, Porirua, Upper Hutt and Lower Hutt, right? So Wellington Water looks after, just looks after, does not own the pipes, just looks after the pipes. Each of those councils gets to spend a bit of money and send a bit of money to Wellington Water to do the maintenance. So the councils, despite forming an organisation whose job it is is to look at the pipes and fix them, they get to decide on how much money they give it. So they just starve it. They just f***ing starve it because, of course, they all want to build like planter boxes on Bond Street or they want to paint another bloody crossing over here or something like this. They just do silly shit. They want to build another bike lane where people don't cycle, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's just dumb. And so what started happening is the leaks over summer here in Wellington have got so bad that a city that is usually drenched in water all year round is now under water restrictions. We've gone to level two. Oh, so just think about your water use. That's basically what it is. New Minister of Local Government, Simeon Brown, essentially issues a please explain to Wayne Guppy, the Mayor of Upper Hutt, and the Mayor of Wellington, Tory Fano, saying, what's going on here, guys? You you two councils, Upper Hutt and Wellington City, are not contributing what we would consider a fair proportion to this, your water entity. So is that to say that Porirua and Lower Hutt are? Yes. 
if it was up to Potterua and Lower Hutt, they'd have water metering, they'd spend a whole lot more money on the pipes. But because that entity is regionally owned, all parties have to agree, which is just in fucking sane. Anyway, so then all the journalists start scratching away at the service. What's going on here in Wellington? Well, it turns out 45% of our fresh water is mm-hmm. lost to leaks every single day. That's not average. That's every single day up to 45%. Just pisses down the street. And listen, as a ratepayer, I'm super up for water metering. But if the council is losing almost half of the city's water supply, I would not agree to be financing some of my own water use until they got that under control. Exactly. And then over summer, there was a uh, it was a rather prolific leak down here on, on Manners Street in Wellington. And it had a number written above it for every day that they left it. And so at day 27... Who people, did that? Um, you know, some famous Twitter some people. Vigilante. Some vigilante Twitter hero. Got to day 27 and the council turned up and they put a cone, a single cone, on top of the leak. Mm. Now, this leak was probably pissing about 10 litres an hour. So, you know, it's coming out and it's taking all the sand out from between the little, mm. um, the little uh, pavers. Bri- bricks, pavers things. Anyway, so that's happening. And then it got up to day like 40-something before the council actually ripped it up and fixed it. And then the council had the gall, gall. the gall to say, oh, it was a low-priority leak. And they just had this arrogant it's approach um, to water management that I think is stems from what you just mentioned before about the hyper-politicisation of our councils, a disagreement to just be able to sort the fundamentals out of our city, and God damn it, something needs to I change. Don't, I don't care if it's a low-priority leak. This comes back to a phenomenon called broken window effect, right? So when there is a broken window in a street or a suburb or a train station or whatever, soon there's also graffiti. And then when there's also graffiti, there's also people like just peddling crime, you know, dealing drugs, whatever. It's that idea that it only takes something little to mm. spur a chain reaction of events because what you're saying is that this is how much we care about this place, right? Like yep. this is a place where things can go unfixed. Yep. And then that can expand to a number of social ills, right? But so that's Wellington right now. More we broadly. are in the CBD, and there are pipes burst, and there is flooding. There are basically geysers of water spouting up places. Mount Vic. And then there's also a lot of shops that are for lease. Yep. You know, and then there's also a great homelessness problem. Nothing that anyone has to walk past, especially not tens of thousands of people on the Golden Mile on Manor Street every day, nothing that that many people have to walk past is a low priority in my opinion. I appreciate that there will be lots of listeners from around the world thinking, oh, they're just two Wellingtonians, you know, thinking about their local city. But wherever you are in the world, have a look at your town, have a look at your city and say, is my council, are my elected representatives taking pride in it? Are they actually here for our city? Do they care about what other people think and do they care about their residents? Because I do not feel here in Wellington that that's the way our council feels and I see it every day. Now, I'm going to finish this segment with a quote. A quote from an absolute hero, an absolute patriot of oh, New Zealand. no, I an know absol- who this is. An absolute screaming nut job, in other words. So one Leo Malloy, one-time mayoral candidate, many-time bar owner in Auckland, <laughs> came to Wellington and um, got on got on the piss in one of uh, Wellington's premier hotspots for fun, Courtney Place. He described it as Beirut meets Dublin circa 2010 in the middle of the global financial crisis. Wellington, you need to sort this out. And you know what? I hate to say it, but Leo, I agree with you, mate. Mm. Disaster. Well, Byron. Speaking of disasters. Hot or not. First one, an observer for Wellington Council. Hot, absolutely. Uh, Topical, the Christchurch CBD. Also quite a nice place. Yeah, I quite like it, eh? 
And lastly, another topical one for you, the state of Northlands Roads. Disaster. poor indeed. Hey, topical from me, Scottish Boutique. Hot. Super hot. In fact, you know what? I need to take some stuff from there. Fresh grocery review into you being scammed apparently on the way. I couldn't care less about another review. Wow, cost of living crisis not hitting this man. And lastly, extending that long tunnel from the airport all the way to Picton. All the way to Picton. This is something that you would support. Get it to Christchurch. Picton is a half-assing it. Oh Get gosh. that tunnel all the way oh down the island. Oh, my gosh. State, hi- State Highway, Wonderground. Do you know what? I think you should become the commissioner, not just of Wellington, but of New Zealand. I reckon I could do the Minister I for think Tunnels. we put New Zealand under a view. Minister for Tunnelling? We are not ambitious enough. Find a couple of tunnel buddies That's and see what we challenge. can do. That's the challenge. And with Byron, his views, his vision, and his tunnel, mm. we can get New Zealand back on track. We can, because there'll be a track in the tunnel. It'll be so good. <laughs> Well, listeners, penultimate episode. For Byron. Next week will be the last time we're graced with the dulcet tones of Mr. Terrace before he goes and sets up Byron's Adventuring Tunnel Solutions. Yep. That's mm. for short. Nice. If you want a job, click him a text. We can become tunnel buddies. <laughs> no, you then. can't. Yeah, Until then, <laughs> we'll see you next week. week.